Welcome to the Solo BG Podcast. In this podcast, we talk about solo and cooperative games. We also bring you news, audio unboxings, Kickstarter updates, and interviews with amazing personalities around the industry. We hope you enjoy this episode. And now, here's your host, Derek Rodriguez. Hey, my friends, welcome to another episode, Solo BG Podcast. Uh, we are just, just at the edge of Gen Con. We are recording on July the 13th. This is episode 113, and we're going to talk about the 13th episode as well. We're going to go back in time. So a lot of 13s. Good thing it's not Friday. So uh, at least we're safe on that. And of course, like in the last two episodes, and now it's like an official permanent thing. Jonathan is here. Jonathan, how are you tonight? Doing well. How are you, Derek? Doing good. Doing ready to talk about games. And, you know, getting that excitement of Gen Con. Gen Con is around the corner three weeks from now. Uh, I already, you know, did like, uh, did the thing that I have never done, which is put up a list together of games, you know, which ones are the demo, which ones are going to be on sale there, like, you know, for able to purchase, uh, which ones are uh, are going to be releasing Gen Con, which ones are old games, uh, watching tutorials, getting myself very well informed and not trying to jump into crazy decisions, which that's weird for me because I'm usually a compulsive, I don't care, it looks cool. The art looks fantastic and the theme looks fantastic. Let me buy the game. I don't care how, if it sucks or not and how it works. So I'm trying to do things differently this year, Jonathan. What about you? Are you getting excited for Jenkin? Do you have your list? Have you browsed a little bit? I've started a list. I think there's like 360 games the last time I looked. So uh -huh. um, I mean, there are some things. I've got some same sort, sort of thing you're doing. I'm seeing what's for demo, um, what's for sale, just trying to get an idea of uh, what to look for, especially you know on that, that first day on Thursday when we all run in there to see. Mm -hmm. um, see what I want to maybe you know buy or what I want to demo first, and then see if I pick it up. But I've got some tickets for a couple different things during yeah. Gen Con, so um, yep, yeah, starting to get everything planned. Which, by the way, uh, once again, this is not the Gen Con episode. We're gonna have a pre-Gen Con episode and then a Gen Con special as well uh, after Gen Con. But uh, just a big uh, shout out to our dear friend Caleb Wiles because. He's going to have a magic show on Gen Con. And you know, you have heard Caleb in the past here. We did an interview with him uh, before episode 100. And then um, he's been in a multiple episodes. He's usually with us on the top five games at the end of the year. But as, I have, as you probably are aware, if you have been following the podcast, he's a professional magician. He's a good friend of ours. We get together on a weekly basis. Jonathan, Caleb, and I, we play. And he has been in full us multiple times. So he's an outstanding magician. And he's going to have, correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, two shows on Gen Con. Is that correct? I think it's just one on Saturday. Just one Saturday. And it's going to be, I think it's at 7 p.m., I think. Uh, six or seven, yeah. Six it's or seven. I know it's in the evening, yeah. Yeah, so it's after the gaming hall closes. And yep. it's going to be an event, a ma magic event, of course. He is a, a nerd like us, so there's going to be, expect some... Uh, related theme narration related board games or, or geek stuff but he has pretty cool magic tricks for all of you uh, he still blows our minds i'm sure to Jonathan as well every time that he wants to show us a new trick and he's gonna have that show now the cool thing on top of that is that all the the tickets that uh, you know get all the profits from the tickets better said they're gonna go towards charity so at this point i think there were still 35 tickets available something like that it's gonna it's gonna be limited only to 100 attendees so please if you haven't check it out 
You can find it on the GenCon events um, section, and you won't regret. Just get you know a couple of tickets. I mean, and then say, hey, hey, Caleb, you know, I listen to Solo BG podcast, and I'm here to see the show. You will see Jonathan and myself over there as well. So it might be a good opportunity to say hi. You know, I've been take some pictures if you like something like that, something crazy, play a game. I don't know. So just I wanted to throw it out there. And the other thing is that another news. Um, we mentioned this at the end of the last episode, but now it's official that we will have an event. That's all I can tell you right now. We will have an event that uh, it's something very cool that we are we are planning, Caleb, Jonathan, and myself. Um, you know, towards charity. I will I will say that it's towards charity, but it involves board gaming. So that's all I can tell you. And just because I cannot keep my mouth shut, I will tell you that it will happen around September. It's gonna be in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm sure we're all going to have a blast. So stay tuned for that. And those are all the news that I have before we kick in. Jonathan, I don't know if you remember this, but if we go 100 episodes back, um, we talked about 100 episodes ago, we talked about our top five solo and cooperative games. That was um, episode number 13. And it was on December 31st, 2018. Wow. Uh, so I don't know which games we said that they were our top five. I would assume Mansions of Madness was there probably. Uh, I know that the game of the year for, for us, at least for Caleb and myself, uh, it was, uh, Street Masters from Brady and Adam Sadler. Um, and yeah, it will be interesting to go back and listen. Um, do you remember which games could it be, Jonathan, back in 2018? Which ones could it be your top five Solo and cooperative games. Can you remember? Probably Pandemic. You're a big Pandemic guy. So could it be yeah. Pandemic? Um, I feel like I probably would have had some sort of escape room game on there because I was kind of like when Unlock and Exit were first kind of coming out. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm trying to think because like, you know, now I remember, you know, later years I was like Marvel Champions and like, oh, I wonder if, um, I bet Arkham Horror LCG was on there. Well, you know what? Let me. T- I was actually looking at, at when we recorded because I remember the Arkham Horror episode you and I, we did it together. Um, and so we did it on episode nine, actually. Okay. So um, so that makes sense Ar- that Arkham Horror would be there. Um, yeah. So Arkham Horror, we talk about the Reckoners on episode 10. We talk about Side on episode um, you know, 11. One Deck, One Deck Dungeon was episode 12 and top five. So probably Side was there, I'm sure, as well. Uh, Arkham Horror... Lucidity, well, that's a, a game that we already talked about it in the past. Yeah. We talk about our emotional attachment to Lucidity. Um, the Bloody In, Tiny Epic Zombies, um, X-Files Legendary Encounter, and Pixel Glory, which was our first episode, the pilot. Uh, but anyway, uh, it will be worth to go and check it out. I mean, the audio quality probably wasn't the best, but it was our top five solo and cooperative games for 2018. Come on, Jonathan, make that brain works. I know that uh, the escape rooms for you are a tradition in every top five. Mm-hmm. But come on, think about something else that you um, might, you might have well, played I in pro- 2018. <laughs> I probably would have put One Deck Dungeon on there because I was playing that one actually solo and I really didn't do much solo back then sure. at all. Um, so I'm sure that was probably one of them. Um, uh-huh. but yeah, I'm trying to think what the other ones are because I know Reckoners was probably on mine or, or Caleb's. I know that yeah. you weren't as big of a fan, but I feel like Caleb probably had that on his. Um, what else came out that year? Well, here's the thing. Um, That's going to be your homework for next episode. So before we start epi- the pre-Gencon episode, you need to, you will need to tell us the top five 
of 2018 in that way. And in that way, you, you can go back and like fast forward and check and listen and see which ones you choose. Anyway, here we have um, in, I will put quote unquote, three games for tonight because... As you can read on the title on the on the episode, which always gives hints for the titles of what we're going to talk today, we're going to talk about an anime board game. It's an anime that uh, Jonathan, it's a, he's, I know that one, it's in his top fives of animes, uh, and he recommended it after we played the game, and I'm watching the anime, I'm in episode two, and so far I'm loving it. Uh, we're going to talk about another game that has to do with the Mayan calendar, uh, designed by Daniel Tassini and Simon Luciani. So you probably get the hint, what are we talking about? And I'm going to talk about the Blue Collection also, which is three little games that I just got from, from Kickstarter. And I will tell you if I like them, which ones are my favorite, and how they work. So with that being said, we are ready to kick in with games because this is a board game podcast. And we are in board game times. And we are very excited to be here, to be here with you on the other side of the speaker. So, Jonathan, uh, last week... We had Game Night at your house. Uh, we have talked about this in the past that, you know, we went on a weekly basis and we rotated in all our game rooms. Um, and you choose a very interesting game that at this point I feel bad that we just played it on 2022. Um, but it w- the wait was worth it. And it has a very unique characteristics. Uh, one of them is that is based on the Mayan calendar. Uh, of course, as a Mexican... All this culture, it's super fascinating for me, and I love it, and I embrace it, and, and it's great. So uh, we're talking about Sulking, the Mayan calendar. Uh, before you start to tell us all everything about the game, how it works, and all the stuff, Jonathan, let me give you the stats really quick from BGG. Rank overall is 49. Uh, strategy, it's at 48, so that's why I, I, don't, I don't even remember <laughs> any other game that was very close on the position, on the rank from overall strategy, but anyway, 49.48, 7.9 on Board Game Geek. I think it should be higher, but to each their own. It was released in 2012, uh, a very unique year, of course, for the Mayan calendar. Uh, lead your people, build monuments, and make offerings to earn the favor of the gods. Two to four players, 90 minutes playing time, 13 euro plus, complexity of 3.67 out of 5. The designer is Simon Luciani and Daniel Tassini. Once again, those fantastic Italian designers. Uh, the artist is uh, Milan Varon. E, uh, and is published, I was like already talking in Spanish, and is published to uh, Search Games Edition or CGE. Jonathan, tell us all about Sulking, and let's go into the Mayan calendar right now. Well, I feel like when you look at it, it seems a lot more complex um, uh-huh. overall than the actual mechanisms of the game. But mm-hmm. um, for anyone that's familiar with the game, I mean, the big gimmick is the gears. Mm-hmm. So the way the game's set up is there's a large gear in the middle that has all the um, supply of corn, which is you know pretty much the main resource for the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's connected to all the other cities which um, I will not attempt to say because Derek will give me a hard time if I say them no. wrong. No, um, come on, come on, try it, try it. I, 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 will, I will tell you. Come well, on. let's see, there's uh, Chichen Itza. Chichen Itza, um, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ukmal or Uxmal? Uxmal, uh-huh, correct. Um, Tikal. Tikal, that's correct. Um, uh, Palenque. Palenque, that's correct. Palenque, and um, oh, this was the one that killed me, I had a hard time. Um, Go for it. Uh, 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 Echelon? <laughs> Or is it uh, each each Shilon? That's correct. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> um, so those are all the different cities, and they all have a gear uh-huh. um, that's connected to the main gear. 
Um, it's at the heart of the game. It's the worker placement game. Um, but the way this one works is on your turn, um, you'll either start by playing at least one worker um, or bringing back at least one worker. Mm-hmm. So if you play a worker, it's free free to start, and you have to play it at the lowest spot available on um, whichever city wheel you want to go to. So if the zero space is open, it costs zero corn, and you play it there. But, yeah. um, for example, if Derek were there at the zero spot, I'd have to play it at the one, pay a corn, and put my worker there. You can do that for multiple workers. Um, you start with three, um, and as you play each of them, there's an extra cost of corn to play those. Um, but as the game progresses, um, each round will turn the main gear in the middle. Yep. And as you turn that, the workers on the lower space will move one space up. And as they move up those spaces in their respective city, there's different types of actions, and those actions will get better. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, let's say on, um, I think on Tikal, initially you can upgrade one of your um, technology tracks as the first one, and then you can build a building. Well, then later you can upgrade two technologies, build multiple buildings, um, and as you go, it gets better, um, but you have to wait. So the yeah. trade-off there is, you know, when you play your workers down, when do you bring them back? When do you want your resources? Or, um, you know, I play one worker, you know, each turn to kind of draw that out and let them slowly build up. Mm-hmm. And then pull them back either one at a time or, you know, a couple together to kind of combo um, to get the resources you need to either build buildings, to unlock new workers. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do. You can go up. Um, there's three different uh, monuments, three different gods that you um, can go up on their track to get benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it kind of has that push and pull of, you know, when to, you know, when to set yourself up and when to pull back yeah. um, to take those actions. But as the game progresses... Um, there's four quarters of the year. So as you go, um, once you hit the first quarter, you'll score some victory points um, based on the board. Mm-hmm. Once you get to the halfway point, um, you'll get some additional benefits. And at each of these checkpoints, you have to feed your workers. So similar to some other games we've played, um, you know, you have to have enough food to feed your workers. You get negative three victory points for each one that's unfed. Yeah. Um, which that kind of reminded me of even some of the other Euro games, like some of the Uwe Rosenberg games where... You know, that food is the main thing. You have to feed your workers at the end of the season. Yeah. Um, so it had some of that as well. Um, but in terms of the complexity, once you kind of figure that out, more of us just trying to figure out which area you want to focus on, um, you know, which path you want to go to get points. Do you want to collect the crystal skulls, like Indiana Jones 4, if mm-hmm. you want to remember that movie or not. <laughs> um, but you collect the crystal skulls, and in Chitsunitsa, you know, you kind of have that slow build up to get to the spot where you can drop the skull and get a lot of victory points. Yeah. But if but if you miss it or you don't have that skull, you lose out and you waste that worker. So you can go that route. You could appease the gods and go up those tracks. So there's a lot of different things you can do, um, but it really revolves around that mechanism of, you know, putting your workers out, waiting for the gear to do its thing and set you up for the right space that you want to pull them back on. Yeah. And I have to make an annotation when on, on the Chichen Itza, you know, action space, because like you said, you have the gear of Chichen Itza, right? So you have all these spots where you're going to start on the cheapest one or the one that doesn't cost you any 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 corn, which is the currency of the game, right? The, the food. Um, so the, the problem is that you will think that, okay, I'm going to start, you know, early over there. And it, as the gear keeps progressing and the, the rounds keep progressing, well, eventually your, your, your action player of your worker will be towards the end of the gear. And and usually towards the end of the gear is when you get the highest rewards. But what happened in Chichen Itza is that in order to get those massive amounts of points and rewards, uh, the problem is that you have to trade a school. 
And it's so hard to get a school because, uh, you know, you can get it on the main gear, which is, let me go back to that city. Uh, let me zoom in here. It's uh, Yashilan. So if you're at Yashilan, um, you can get eventually to the school and you can get it through there. But it's going to take you one, two, three, four, five rounds to hold it on that gear. So you, you would think that in the ideal scenario, okay, you put your worker in, in Yashilan and then you put your worker in Chichen Itza and you try to wait, you know, with those two workers occupied there and let the turns go by. The problem is that on your turn, Either you place a worker or you pick a worker up, and you only have three to begin with. So it's very hard to try to, you know, try to go that route, especially at, at very early in the game. And that's what happened to me and Jonathan. We put a worker there very early in the game because we were trying to take the advantage. We, th- we thought it's go- it was going to be easier to get the score, the research, to trade it in Chichen Itza. But it ended up being a waste of a worker for like five rounds. And, and while, we, while me and Jonathan we were doing that, uh, of course, Caleb is doing a bunch of other stuff and getting resources himself, trying to get some uh, uh, technology and some monument tiles to that they, they were able to feed their workers instead of you paying food. Because at the end of each quarter, most likely, or at the, at the end of some quarters, better say, you had to pay for your workers, similar to Teotihuacan, if you have played that one by Indian Boards, which is, once again, the same designers in Luciani and Daniel Tassini. So... You have to feed them, and if you don't feed them, of course, you're going to lose some points. So that's the whole gimmick as well as, as okay, I want to make sure that I have enough corn, but also you, if you want to trigger those great actions sooner in the game, well, you have to place corn to, pay, to place those workers in more far away or more in advance towards the middle, kind of like in each gear. Uh, I love the mechanic of the gear, you know, the main gear rotating it and all uh, counterclockwise and then all the other ge- gears go clockwise. And that makes you like think in advance of the resources that you're going to get because you're going to get the resources when you pull out the worker. So if you place, if I place my worker in one space, I know that this turn I'm not going to get that resource because I will pull it up n- pro- potentially next turn. The problem is that if someone rotates the main gear one or two times, well, that worker is not going to be most likely on the action that I wanted to take before. So that has that way of trying to foresee your actions and the resources that you're going to get in advance in a way. I really like also the technology track of things where you can keep getting technology, which basically they, it will trigger some bonuses every time you do certain actions. Uh, there's that In one of the technology tracks, there's also the possibility that you can get those calls, but it's very hard because you also have to spend resources in order to get those uh, technology uh, markers all the way up or towards the right, better say, on the board. Then you have, like Jonathan said, the three main gods routes, which has a very interesting mechanic as well, that if at some point you are, let's say, two spaces up on one uh, track, on a pyramid track for the gods, and then you don't have any corns. You you can beg... What is it called, Jonathan? Beg for for prayer or beg for... Uh, so you can beg for corn. So if you have um, two or less corn, you can basically get rid of all of your corn, mm-hmm. take three corn at the beginning of your turn um, to either you know have enough to play more workers, mm-hmm. but then you have to go down one step on the... Um, one of the god tracks, mm-hmm. which some of those can go negative, so yeah, um, it can have a pretty big change in your victory points if you can't get that back up. Yeah, and then there's a, a route. There's two routes for monuments. That that's something that I really like as well. So on on the on the first or the base one, 
it's monuments that you can get and they get it's a, like a line and you it gets replaced every time that someone gets one but basically those ones help you those are cheap to get and easier to get and those ones will help you to feed your workers to you know have a, like some sort of mechanic of a set collection with other aspects of the game and those other aspects of the game are the permanent monuments the one that doesn't get replaced and those ones are crazy expensive to buy. So at the beginning of the, the game, I remember when Jonathan was explaining us the game, he was like, well, if you get this tile or this monument and then you get three green monuments, well, you will be able to score, I don't know how many points for each. And I was like, well, that's crazy. That's super powerful. What do you need, Jonathan, for that? Well, he's like, well, you need uh, four iron and two gold. And I was like, okay, no problem. You know, like any other worker, worker placement, I will go and get those resources and get it, knock it out of the park. Well, that's the problem, getting the resources. That's the main problem. And, and and I think it's a game that has that tense moment of there's a lot going on, but you have to be paying attention to every turn. Otherwise, if you messed up in one turn, I mean, most likely you're going to suffer the penalization, which is going to be something drastic. Um, let's start with the cons and pros, Jonathan, of the game. Do you have any cons that you can think of? Um. Not really. I was kind of surprised, um, mm-hmm. and so, so my copy that I got was secondhand. Okay. Um, so it was already like assembled and everything with the gears and all that. Um, so mm-hmm. you just have to put the board together. Um, but I, you know, I thought it might be more fiddly to actually move the gears and stuff. But that was fairly easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of one that I thought would be an issue. Um, I guess really the only con that I have um, is your box. Well, yeah. Um, so the box I got, I got from Half Price Books, and it's just kind of you know split on one of the corners, and the top is kind of caved in, like you know somebody they probably stacked them horizontally and had yeah. something heavy on top for a while. So that was kind of sad, especially after playing it and liking it so much. I'm like, I want a new one, so I bought yeah. a new one um, on Amazon, and <laughs> so. Oh, um, you bought a, you bought a new box? Yeah. And, oh, okay. Yep. So that came on Monday, and that box was damaged. So I returned that one. Oh my goodness! Okay. <laughs> and so the so then the second one came um, yesterday, and it's fine. Okay. So I returned the one to Amazon, and then I'll probably just sell the other one secondhand again. Um, everything inside is in good shape, and I'm like, I'm you know, I like this game. Um, I want you know, there's an expansion for it that adds a little bit more that could be interesting. So I'm like, yeah. I figure I should just get a a nice box to display um, on the shelf. Um, yeah. But anyway, so I, I guess my main con that can be fixed is, but like when you look at the, the gears, they're kind of hard to, especially the central gear has, um, numbers on it that counts down between each, um, feeding season. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of hard to see and they're just kind of an ugly tan color. Yeah. So I, th- I think, um, you know, what a lot of people have done is, um, they've done different, um, either painting it or, you know, coloring it in some ways to make them kind of pop on the board. There's tons of stuff on Etsy yeah. to make those stand out. So um, I'll have to look into that. I've never really painted anything. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's just, um, you know, out of the whole board and everything, there's so much color, and those are just so bland. Yeah. Um, so that'd probably be my main complaint. Yeah, um, no, and, and it's, a, it's a game that, you know, I really like as well. And I remember uh, I've been telling this in the podcast in the past, and, I've been talking to uh, my friends about it that um, as, a, as a Mexican, I feel like, uh, you know, I have the responsibility of uh, owning most of the games that have that either pre-Hispanic or Hispanic uh, thema- themes, right? 
uh, so of like even even Coatl, right? That it's made by a French publisher by Synapse Games. I mean, it still has some, you know. I mean, definitely like um, how to say inspiration from the from the Aztec mm -hmm. culture. So I have that one. I have Teotihuacan, and I feel like I really need to get Sulkin as well. Uh, Tikal, all those games. So I'm gonna buy Sulkin as well. And I know it doesn't make sense because we are a group of three players and you already have it and we can play your copy, but we know that we always ended up doing that when we like other games and just getting the same copies, each one of us or something. But yeah, Tolkien, Tolkien was a big surprise for me. What it's really um, also um, you know, positive on the game, I think, is that the game was released on 2012. And I feel that it holds... It holds very well. It doesn't feel old to me. Um, it doesn't feel like an old game. It almost felt like, you know, like it, it's a game that I can try at Gen Con. And let's say, and I would, I, I mean, I know the game is old because it's a very famous game, but you can just play it on Gen Con. And if someone doesn't know, they will have, they will have no clue that the game is now 10 years old. Uh, the art, I can go either way. I mean, I can go with, I like it. I can go with, it looks ugly. But to me, it's not as bad as I would think for a 10-year-old Euro game, right? We have yeah. the first edition of Castles of Burgundy, for example. It's a game that, you know, Erica, my wife, she loves. She loves the game. It's her favorite game ever. But I, I just don't play it because it's awful, right? But I'm waiting for the Awakened Realms with the miniatures and all stuff when it's going to be fantastic. So in, in the case of Sulkin, I can play Sulkin because it looks good. It looks cool. Yes, the gears is the main thing with that tan color. But, you know, I mean, I can definitely see myself once I get my copy, you know, basing the main gear and then painted in like in gold. In that way, it looks like the magic calendar in gold. And then probably the, the numbers go with a silver brush in that way. They can have that silverish gold on the numbers. And then all the little gears also painting them like probably in silver as well. And then trying to find pyramids and place them there there's some pyramids in etsy i have some pyramids here besides the shit behind the shelf i can show you right now so you cannot see it but when i post the picture of the game i promise you will see it but like jonathan right now i have these pyramids that i brought from mexico so this could be from the main gear and things like that right so i definitely seeing like pop making things to popping up the game um so it, it's a great game now i mean it's, it's very unique because like i said it has that aspect that it doesn't feel the time And it doesn't look bad. At least for me, that is, that's a very important aspect of the game. Mechanics-wise, I mean, we already explained you the game. And, and mechanics-wise, works perfectly. I guess the other con could be for some players that um, it's not fiddly, but it's a complex game. There's a lot going on. So if you are not the type of gamer which you like to be focusing a lot on the game because you depend on every turn around, well, that this might not be a game for you. Now... I mean, there's times that I don't want to play those games too. And, and I mean, it's not going to be a game that once I own it, I can see myself playing it multiple times during the year. But I can def it will definitely be those types of games that it will be worth it to have it upgraded. And then you bring it one, twice, three times per year. And you have a very good experience with it. It's like owning uh, one of your favorite movies and you buy the deluxe edition with Steelbox or whatever. And you probably won't watch it once a week but every time you watch it you're like oh man i love this movie so I th it gives me the similar feeling so i just want to throw it out there because it does has replayability just because how complex it is so but i i don't think you know i don't think i will at least play that game a lot just because 
you're not always in the mood for a complex game. So that could be also like a, not a con or a, a pro, but like more like a neutral spot uh, for when you look at these kinds of games. Uh, other than that, I think it's all positive. And, and I will go ahead and give my rating before I ask yours, Jonathan. And mm -hmm. I think going from 0 to 5, uh, no doubt this game for me is a 4.5. It's a 4.5. Um, um, it's not a 5 because I won't play it as often. For example, side, I can play it way more often because it's less complex. And, and I enjoy it a lot. But this one, I feel like it won't hit the table as often. But when it hit, it will be a blast. So I will give it a 4.5 to this sulking 10-year-old uh, game. I hope. I, I wonder if they will come out with a 10-year anniversary like they're doing now with some games. But that will be cool. Uh, what about you, Jonathan? Um, yeah, I'd say the same. Um, I think, like you said, it's one that you know, may play once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, but it'll still be always fun to play. Um, I'm sure each time we'll have a different experience and you know maybe try different strategies. Um, yeah. I think if it you know if if our group was one to um, just our our group style is to usually get more games and play more games <laughs> yeah. and play them less frequently. But I think you know this could definitely be a game like if we played it a lot, we would definitely you know, kind of figure out the best strategies, I think. So I think, you know, if we play it once or twice a year, it would be kind of fun just because we'll try something new just because we don't know if it works or not. Yeah, or for, um, or for for a yearly trip, you know, it's a game that either I'm sure we will be like, hey, Jonathan, are you bringing your copy or I bring my copy? So, I mean, it's definitely one of those games too. And, you know, the first, the first time you play, it might have like a learning curve and it might be a long game. But I also feel like even if he has a lot going on, I don't think it will be a long game once you know the whole the whole you know mechanics and and you avoid that learning curve that you already have um so yeah and, and another thing that is interesting to me is that i can definitely appreciate you can definitely appreciate on this game the seal from the designers uh once again simon luciani daniel tassini uh because you can tell you you, you can tell it's one of their games it's crazy i was i was telling jonathan as he was teaching it like it looks very familiar to Teotihuacan. Of course, Teotihuacan came years after, but it does look familiar. So that's also that I really appreciate, and, I, and I'm assuming that happens to you with uh, Uwe, uh, since you really, really like the games from Uwe Rosenberg. Like, I'm sure you're able to also identify his seal every time that you play, or his signature every time that you play one of his games, or or, or you don't think like you can see it. No, you definitely do. Um... And like I just bought another one, so I've got Agricola. I've not played that. We've played Lahav, mm -hmm. and then we've played some of his newer stuff, or I've played it with Caleb, or you know. Mm -hmm. um, and you can definitely see like the progression of you know, his, you know his progression as a designer, and mm -hmm. you know either how they combine mechanisms or you know, how they adapt them. Um, and I feel like I've seen that too, even like with Phil Walker Harding. I know those games aren't typically as heavy, yeah. But you know, seeing how he combines you know the mechanisms from like Baron Park or from some of the other games with some of his newer designs and kind of adapts those. And I think with these designers, we've seen that as well. Um, cause we have played quite a few of their games now too. Yeah. Um, just kind of seeing their progression, even if we, let's say we start here, you know, back in 2012 and kind of come forward, we've, you know, played a good variety throughout the years. Um, yeah. and we can kind of see how they've grown or, you know, tweaked things to be a little bit of a different game and make it a different challenge, but still the same, you know, well, same core mechanisms carry over. That's right. So yeah, there you have it. Sulking, uh, we both agree a 4.5. We both agree it's a great game. It holds up very well. Uh, most likely, you already tried it, my friend, the, my dear friend listener on the other side, because we actually came late to the party. But if you haven't, 
well, check it out. It's, it's worth checking it out. If you have, well, bring it to the table again and and you know and 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 share with us if you like either through social media uh, at Solo BG Podcast, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, email solobgpodcast at gmail.com. Come or if you're able to put some comments either iTunes or, or wherever you listen to the podcast, Audible, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, please do and tell us you know your thoughts on on sulking. Now, let's go to the Kickstarter world. Um, recently. I got a Kickstarter uh, pledge, um, and I backed this game, I think, probably a year and a half ago. And I'm talking about the collection of the Blue Collection uh, from Little Rocket Games. And there is four different games. One that I have no idea how it plays, because it didn't include any rulebooks, so that's pretty shame. Uh, I will have to go ahead and check on Board Game Geek. It seems like a roll and ride. It's called Shirt Circuits, which I'm going to talk right now a little, little bit what I know. It's basically a notepad. Uh, it's a, It seems like it's a two-player game where you're going to do a score, of course. Uh, you're going to have microchips, uh, things like that. So basically, it's more like a... I feel like it's almost like a, like a battleship type of game or like the, that uh, mines. It was called Mine Games, I think. On the OPCs where you were selecting, I will show you, Jonathan. You probably can give me a better idea. So, oh, like my like Minesweeper. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? Because you have here, you have one player at the bottom, then one player on the top, and it's basically one facing the other. So I will look at the rules then later for this one on BGG. But it was a shame that it didn't include the rule book, and I was like, uh, it's on the back on the notepad or anything. Nope. So uh, I'm 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 assuming it was a stretch goal, which I never paid to my attention to stretch goals. But anyway, the first game that I'm gonna talk it's one deck, uh, one one deck, one card dungeon, uh, and this one is designed by uh, Barney Skinner, and once again is published by Little Rock Games in conjunction with uh, Gigamech. Now all these games they were um, print and play games on BGG, but then uh, the publisher decided to put them together. And release a collection of small games. I think my pledge was near $40, something like that, or probably a little bit more with shipping. What are we gonna do in one and one card dungeon? Well, you guess it, you're gonna go through a dungeon in one single card, and basically you're gonna have some dice where you can roll them to get uh, some stats or improvements on your stats, and the enemies will have some stats as well. So on the card, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be double-sided, and in one side. You're going to be first fighting the schools. So what you're going to do is you're going to place some dice that they will represent the enemies. You're going to place a die that's going to represent your character. And you're going to be moving through the dungeon, sort of like in a tactical movement, skirmish way. Uh, and you're going to be fighting with them with the values of your dice. They, the enemies will have health, uh, you know, attack, defense, range, uh, movement, and you as well. So you're going to have different values of that. At the beginning of each round, you're going to roll dice, and that dice can determine the improvement of your abilities. And as you are progressing to the, through, through the dungeon, once you kill the enemies, you can roll the dice again and improve those stats or just move some pips up in the stats that you want to improve. For example, movement, sword, uh, shield, range, things like that. Um, as you go through the first dungeon, then you're going to flip the card the other way around, and now you're going to face... Another enemy, which is look kind of like a demon or something. And then you're going to go through there. So it's like a representation of going down on the dungeon, right? Once you finish with that guy, then you're going to flip the card and you're going to face spiders, right? So you're going to face some spiders and, and you're going to try to, this with the same mechanics, they have all stats. And once you finish with that, it will be the main guy, which is an orc. 
Uh, I think that's the yeah no the main guy is the 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 demon the org is another henchman let's call it and you're gonna go you're gonna progress through the dungeon like that what what like that once you defeat four the four enemies that's it you are the winner of the game and it you're gonna be you're gonna become the hero of the game uh, it's it's funny because I said that I didn't care for stretch goals but they include me uh, what it's called I, I hope I pronounced correctly. M. Guff Inns Scepter. I'm going to give it to Jonathan in the way he can pronounce it probably better. How do you say that, Jonathan? Uh, I don't, I don't, sorry, my friends. I think, I think uh, we lose the audio on Jonathan. I'm going to bring it back to you oh. right now. Okay, we're there, Jonathan. Okay. So how, okay. Do you, how do you pronounce it? So I think they're trying to say MacGuffin's um, Scepter. MacGuffin. Which, mm-hmm. What is it? Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you know what a MacGuffin is, but it's like a, a device that they use in a TV show or a movie where mm-hmm. it's kind of like, um, you know, I think it's kind of like the, the plot point that, you know, just kind of drives the plot. Okay. So um, I'm guessing it's um, some, some sort of, you know, <laughs> spinoff of that. Okay. Um, well, the interesting thing is that you're supposed to use this cardboard token, which is pretty nice. But there's no use for anything. It's just like you win the game. Oh, like here is your trophy. But it's a, it's a it's a, a game that you most most likely or not most likely it's a solo game. So anyway, those are those are some some stretch goals that sometimes I don't understand. Also, of course, it came with some it comes with some dice, regular D6 dice. But if you get the Kickstarter version, you will get the same dice but with more like um, crave it in a way. So I guess if you if you're into that, well, if that's a, a big thing for you, well, you get those stretch goals. And the heroes that you can play with, I will show you right now as I open this little C-block bag, because that's another interesting thing. I was telling the other day at some of my friends, like, I remember back in the days when we used to own a Monopoly at home, or a Scrabble, or a Parcheesi, or whatever it was, Clue, that when we used to when we used to put the components back into the box, we just throw everything there. And now I feel like 99% of the gamers, we put everything on C-block bags and, you know, different inserts and things like that. So it's crazy. The heroes that you can choose is the wizard, uh, the paladin, the barbarian, or the ranger. How original, but, you know, the classic is always good. Uh, Those are the heroes that you can get. Um, And this is a very cheap game. I think you can find them in conventions, most likely. I think Caleb got a copy on Origins. And um, if you will get it just by itself, it will run somewhere around, you know probably 15 18 dollars not more than 20 i would think so that was one deck dungeon from the blue collection i don't know if you had a chance to to play it from caleb's copy jonathan or if you or if you remember just seeing it no i just saw it when uh, saw he it had out. it out last time yeah well i will i will end it to you in that way you can give it a try i mean it's definitely a, a cool game uh if you are in, in traveling like soon i will i will go to uh mexico uh for a, a few days and uh, this is definitely a game that i will bring because it's a game that you don't need pretty much space. Like, you're in your hotel and, you know, you can play before you go to bed or something. Or if you feel like that craving of playing a board game, well, you put the car, you roll the dice, and you're good to go. Um, and, and that. Then in another episode, I will talk about Mini Rogue, which is another small game, uh, solo game, that it works great. The other one that I'm going to talk about from the Blue Collection. By the way, my rating for one card dungeon will probably be at, at, at 3.5. Uh, I give the 0.5 just because how original it is that it's just one card and you flip it back and forth and you have some uh, game time there and some playability there. Um, 
And that, I think, adds the value for 3.5. If we will take out that out of the contest, it would probably be a 3. But that's my, my uh, rating for um, one card dungeon. The other one I want to talk is the big piece of the Kickstarter. It's called Cyber Doom Tower. Uh, and this is the game. This is a game, once again, same publisher designers are M. Salogni and Semilio. That's what it's being called here. Basically, what we're going to be doing is trying to climb up on the tower, on the Cyber Doom Tower, or you can call it Skynet Tower if you're a Terminator fan. And basically, you have your hero, which is going to go through different sections of, of each level. If you're playing solo, you're going to have four levels. If you're playing with two players, you're going to have five levels, so it's a cooperative game. And on your turn, you're going to have uh, uh, three different actions, that you can, that you, three different movement points or action points that you can do. You can move and attack. You can move horizontally on the same level or you can go to the elevator and move up and down and as you end your movement on different spaces then you have to hide from the sentinels which there are cards that they're going to be moving towards you and they can potentially kill you or you can attack them and kill them before they they kill you basically and the whole idea of the game is that in each sector is going to be a key so you have to find the key roll for hidden it's that's what it's called for hide in that way the sentinels don't activate if you're uh lucky with the hide roll then the, the sentinels don't go towards you. And once you ended up in a split with a key, you collect the key, and then you get out of the way of that sector and move to the next one, and so on and so forth. And once you find three sectors, then you can try to defeat the main enemy of the Cyber Doom Tower. Now, it has some mechanisms as far as fighting. Uh, for that, you're going to be rolling some dice, and you're going to be allocating those dice on the enemy or sentinel cards, and they will have some requirements such as like, okay, this has to be a red die and it has to be at least at four. Kind of like a um, one deck dungeon type of battle thing. Uh, so you have to allocate those die there. Now there's going to be, as the Sentinels advance, which is something that I really like, their stats will change uh, depending on the se- on the space and the sector that they are because as they keep moving, some rows of, of the dice on the, uh, the areas where you have to allocate the dice will change the requirements depending on the sector. For example, if they advance to the space number three on one sector, now those three dice that they were, I don't know, had to be red and four, five, and six, it might have like a chain symbol on the sector. So now what that means is that instead of doing that, now you had to place red dice, but the three of them had to be of the same color. So it can change the mechanic of the, uh, the requirements for allocation on the combat dice. Once you go to the main enemy, let's say you find the three keys or four keys if you're playing a player game, and you go to the enemy, you have, before, I'm sorry, before you go to the enemy, you have to go to another area, which is the control panel, but it's basically the same thing. So once you go there, you fight the enemy, and then the enemy will have a crazy amount of hell points, uh, and you just start to roll over and over and over until he either you kill him or he kills you. It's very hard to kill him. I haven't won the game. Um, and there's another thing that you get during the game, is that if you end your your movement in certain spaces, you will get either extra weapon cards that you can use, or you can get more energy for your actions, or you can get more lucky stats, which lucky stats allow you to trigger certain, certain abilities on your character, such as like reroll, changing the die, uh, the face of one die, or, or, or things like that. So it's pretty cool in a way. You know, it's it's a small box, and you can do a lot with that small box. Uh, from from this, Between this one and one deck dungeon, I feel like... Cyber Doom Tower has a better idea uh, as a board game wise, but at the same time, it didn't blow my mind for some reason. 
And I was excited because I got the neoprene mat for it, which is crazy, but you know that I like neoprene mats. So I got the neoprene mat for it and everything. But the two times that I played, it just felt like the idea was there. It was cool, but something didn't click. I don't know if it was the mechanics. I don't know if it was the movement, but to me, it was hard. So, um, you know, and, and that's fine. I like hard games. I can think of another small game that I like, which is, let me go back, uh, Dead Angel, uh, Space Hulk Dead Angel, which is an outer print game. Uh, that's another one that I really like solo, and, and it's also very hard. But, I mean, it's just this one, it's something. It's something that I don't know what, what it is, but it didn't click for me. And, it, and I'm sad because I was excited for it. Um, so for Cyber Doom Tower, I definitely will give it a three. Uh, it has cool components. The idea is there. I really appreciate it. It's a small box, and then you can feel like a like a board game pretty much. But it just, at least in the solo mode, I have to say because I haven't played the two player, something happened that it didn't click. So um, I, there's other games out there that I prefer to play. Uh, but if you put me to choose between Cyber Doom Tower and One Card Dungeon, I think so far to this day. I will prefer one card dungeon. Uh, once again, I'm not saying Cyber Doom Tower is a bad game. And the only reason why, I, why I'm giving it a three is because, once again, it didn't click for me. Uh, it might click for you. I don't I don't think it's a bad game, but it's just it's something, something with Cyber Doom Tower. Probably that happens when you're excited, exciting about a game and then it doesn't fulfill that excitement level. And then you're like, eh, well, probably that's what happened for Cyber Doom Tower for me. I mean, I wasn't expecting a Gloomhaven, Neither or La, or La Frost Haven or, or 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 something like that or Kingdom Dead Monster, but I was expecting on Cyber Doom Tower. I got the neoprene mat. I wanted to have an adventure, and unfortunately, I tried two times. I lost. It was challenging, but it wasn't the adventure that I was hoping for. Last one that I want to talk from the blue collection. It's Insert Coin to Play. This one is by the same designers, MS Alogni and Semilio, uh, published by Little Rocket Games. This fantastic <laughs> this is my favorite from all of them all right so what are we gonna do in insert coin to play if you are like me and i'm sure jonathan is the same way and you had a blast back in the day going to the arcade and you know being on those places um and you like that pop culture from the late 80s early 90s things like that well this is gonna be a game that you might appreciate it's nothing out of the ordinary it's a simple roll and write. And, well, it's a draw and write. And big disclosure here, and Jonathan knows this. I'm not a huge fan of the roll and writes, but I enjoy this one. What is going to happen? Well, we're going to have a deck of cards, and I'm going to I'm gonna open it in that way. I can tell you a little bit better. So we're going to have a deck of cards where we're going to, uh, first we're going to go through a draw phase kind of, and we're going to shuffle those cards. And I'm showing to Jonathan through the camera. I'm going to take some pictures to social media as well. So on the main card, I'm going to draw, I'm going to give you two cards, and you're going to pick one. So, uh, sorry, you're going to pick a few of them as we draft. We can either can give you three out of the bat or we can draft them however you want to do it. And you're going to end it up with three symbols, right? Three shapes. So it could be like an, an alien like from Space Invaders. It could be another alien from Space Invaders. I'm sorry, the heart. And I don't know, like a, a little monster from or ghost from Pac-Man kind of thing. And then you're going to draw that shape on a board, uh, which is a pretty cool notepad board where you're going to have space for the three figures, all right? So where you're going to put the shapes. Once you, once you basically draw the shapes on the figures, then you're going to give your cards back. And we're going to have two decks. And in each deck, we're going to put a card that it's an insert coin card. Um, basically, it says just like the arcades, game over, insert a coin to continue. Once you, uh, you're going to do two decks, you're going to shuffle. 
each coin card on each deck, and then you're going to shuffle, you're going to put one deck on top of the other, in a way. And then you're going to start to draw cards. And on the cards, uh, and that will work for everybody on the table, you're going to have some shapes at the bottom, all right? So you're going to choose one of the two shapes, and you're going to fill that, trying to attempt to fill that figure that you draw. And as you fill that figure, you're going to be, once you complete it, you're going to score some points. Also, once you complete a figure, the cards will have an ability right at the bottom. So let's say you had this monster and you complete that monster. In later rounds, when this monster come up, you will be able to trigger those abilities at the bottom. So that's pretty cool as well. Um, and at the end of the game, well, the, again, the game is going to end once someone basically exhausted the three coins uh, that you have on your, on your mat. You're going to be scratching them. And at that point, we're going to score and we're going to get points according to how well we fill our, our um, you know, drawings and our, and our little monsters, ghosts, shapes, characters, however you want to call it. And we're going to get points by filling them. And at the end, whoever has the more, more points win. For example, let's say on the first figure, on a game, let's say on the first figure, we were able to fill it up all the, the, the shape. Well, we're going to get 20 points. I'm sorry, 30 points, but then you're going to subtract empty spaces and that can modify that score. You're also going to get points for hearts that you left on your board, for coins that you didn't use. And even if you complete like halfway a shape, well, you will still get some points. So this is definitely by far my favorite game from the blue collection. It's super fun. It's a very simple roll and ride. And, and that's what I like, that it's simple and that I can take it anywhere and I can play it fine two players. I can play in fine three players. Four players doesn't matter. And it's one of those games that I, it, I'm going to use this term, but it digests very well. That you know that you don't need to play raw and ride, which is a great game, and be thinking of where I'm going to take my dice, where I'm going to place it, what I'm going to do, what is this guy doing? This is just fun. Just drawing cards, trying to to fill the shapes. The shapes are fun, are cool. Uh, they have a great theme, which once again it's arcade. I mean, I, I can always be thinking about Pac-Man, Space Invaders, uh, you know, those games that they're good for, they're awesome in our pop culture as well. So this is definitely my favorite from the Blue Collection. And that's it. That's all the whole Blue Collection that I got from Kickstarter. And I played them recently on the past two, three weeks. And I just wanted to, to share my thoughts with you because I like the idea. I like the idea of these Kickstarters that they're like $30 to $40 it includes you like four or five different games, uh, you know, and, and, and you feel like even if you don't like it, you don't feel like like a big, like you did a big investment like what, versus when you back a $200 game with stretch goals, minis, and this and that, and then that game ended up sitting on your shelf for years and probably you didn't enjoy it, right? Uh, so I just wanted to throw it out there because I think it was worth to, 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 to mention it and to say uh, thank you for this project, Little Rocket Games, because I think they did a good job. I think they did a good job for the product, for small games. And ultimately, these are print-and-play games. But if you're like me, that you don't like to print and cut the paper and all that stuff, well, you can buy these ones, and there you go. I mean, good components, good quality, and they look nice on the table. So there is. Jonathan, what do you think about that rolling ride? Do you think it will be a good fit for to open a game night on one of the future sessions? I think so. I mean, I think the theme is one that we all would like. Um, and I know... You know, I'm probably in the middle, and I think Caleb's probably the most um, into rolling rights. So I think, you know, with you being kind of the least yeah. excited about those, and if you like it well enough, I think, you know, we'd at least, you know, play it and give it a try. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I, I think it's one. I didn't rate it, uh, but this one probably I will give it a four. Um, solid four, I think it's 
It's my favorite from the collection. I look forward to look for their woo book on, on, on BGG or something about the other one. But, I mean, definitely, I don't think it will be surpassing uh, insert coin to play. Ah, Jonathan, we talked at the beginning of the episode about an anime. Um, and it's about bounty hunters, which we both like Star Wars. Uh, and we like the bounty hunters, of course. Um, and it was this was a game that I will let you tell the story where you got it and all that stuff. But I I was surprised with the game, but I'm more surprised with the show. So, what are we talking about now, Jonathan? Well, when you say anime, I mean my first thought goes to Dragon Ball Z. It's not that, of course, yeah. Um, actually, you know, funny enough, I was at a convention last weekend, and oh yeah, t- tell, know, t- of, tell us about it because you had some fun experience. Tell us about tell us our listeners about what what happened over there. So I went to Fan Expo in Chicago, and originally I was going because you know, some actors and some other people that I've got posters for um, were going to be there, and I just needed one more signature on those. Well, they canceled. Um, but like some of the other big attractions were the Four Hobbits were there um, all together. Kevin Smith was there. Um, a lot of the guys from Sons of Anarchy. Well, um, my main draw to still go was there were seven or eight anime voice actors there uh-huh. so i had the, the main four from demon slayer which is a modern very popular anime so i got them to sign that um but um i was more excited about some of the classic actors so it had the voice of goku the voice of vegeta from dragon ball z mm-hmm. um it had the voice of um, yusuke uh, from yu Hakusho, um as well as some of the my hero academia um, voice actors as well so Mm-hmm. A lot of kind of the bigger names, especially from the 90s, which is where I've watched most of my anime. Um, now, while Dragon Ball Z and um, some of those shows were the, the daytime, tsunami sort mm-hmm. of child-friendly anime, this sure. one um, <laughs> that this game is based off of um, was one of the ones that we kind of had to stay up late, sneak on the TV, and watch Adult Swim um, <laughs> just because of the content and, and some of the themes of the show and you know blood and, and all of that. So, Going back to the good old days where Jonathan yeah. was, was a bad kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that being said, I didn't really appreciate this anime as much because, you know, I'd catch an episode here or there, but it really is a cohesive story, one season. It's not one of those anime shows. Um, I know Dragon Ball Z is long, but like if you think of like Naruto or One Piece where there's thousands of episodes, yeah. lots of filler, this has none of that. I mean, or when you do have the filler episode... Um, it's about a blob that gets in the fridge in space and it's, it's a lot of fun. So it's not like a ridiculous, you know, boring episode. Yeah. So what I'm talking about is Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Which, Cowboy um, Bebop. Yeah. It's a good, good one. Go for it. Um, the anime came out in 1998, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, but as Derek said, it really focuses around these bounty hunters. And as it starts off, you kind of see the main two, um, Spike and Jet. And then mm-hmm. you start to add a few more characters throughout the show. Um, that joined their team, um, Faye, Edward, and the dog, Ayn. Um, they kind of formed this ragtag team of bounty hunters that are, you know, always hungry, always broke. You know, <laughs> nothing ever goes right. Yeah. Um, but it still kind of has an overarching story. Um, and so that kind of led me to this game, finally. Yeah. Um, I've gone back and forth. Derek probably remembers. But every year when we go to Miniature Market, I pick this game up off the shelf. And I'm like, should I buy it now? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Every um, year. So it's three years in a row now. Yeah. And, and here we Because that's another another uh, cool story. And I was telling this to, to recently to Jonathan. So 
Uh, we go every year to a miniature market, no advertising or anything. We spend our own money. We don't get anything for free. But we go to St. Louis. It's, it's a three-hour and a half drive from Indianapolis. We go there. We just rent an Airbnb, the three of us, and, you know, the three amigos, and we just go and play games and, you know, no wives, no nothing. So it's just us playing games, uh, you know, almost like a 24-7 and um which i think is anyway we would our wife it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fun for them i don't think so but anyway we go to miniature market and we go to miniature market it's a whole ritual you know because we go there and we go to one of the two stores and we start to browse and then as we're browsing we're researching for games so we spend like two hours just browsing and trying to figure out all the games that we're gonna buy and then we go to play and then we go to the other store and we do the same thing over and over fun fact is that i just went back recently and it wasn't anything like that. So I go with my wife and, and you know, it's like uh, 30 minutes go by or something. And she's like, are you ready? And I'm like, well, no, I'm not ready because I'm still browsing. She's like, well, we've been here 30 minutes. And I was like, well, okay. So I just grabbed, you know, two or three games that I was looking for it. But, I mean, it's, it's just, it's not the same without <laughs> the, the other nerd guys. But um, it was fun, though. But every year, like like Jonathan was saying, he goes, uh, I mean, he, well, in the past, because now he got the game, but he will, he will go, he will grab the game off the shelf, he will hug the game for like the two hours around the store and he will be deciding like should I buy it should I not buy it should I buy it should I not buy it and then at the end she, he will put it back but this year 2022 it wasn't it just probably was predicted by the magic calendar Jonathan decided to pull the trigger and he ended up buying the game which by the way I want to add that I was telling Jonathan of the year I'm two episodes on the show Cowboy Bebop and I can already tell you, fantastic. I also grew up watching Dragon Ball Z. I, uh, growing up watching Saint Seiya, or in Spanish it was called Caballeros del Zodiaco, or in English it was also called Night of the Zodiac, which Night of the Zodiac, uh, or Zodiac Nights, I don't know how it will be, but it's also in Netflix, I think, is the show. Um, and uh, highly recommended to watch it in Japanese. But anyway, I, I grew up watching anime as well. I remember watching a few episodes of Ranma, one and a half, I think it was called. Mm, I, yep. I I didn't end up liking it, but it was it was like, like crazy, very weird <laughs> for for the, for those times, right? Like the concept, but um, I didn't end up liking it. But there was a, a bunch of animes that uh, New in Genesis Evangelion was another one that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, you know, then I've recently Dead Note. I just watched Dead Note. Uh, I think a year or two years ago. And I was blown away by that note. I liked it. And then I watched the Netflix movie. Please do yourself a favor. Don't watch that. Even if he has William Defoe, don't watch that. Um, and then um, I, I got into Cowboy Bebop because of the game that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But two episodes already is super fun. It's just straight to the story. Characters are, you know, lovely, fun, uh, charismatic. The music, it's great. I mean... And Jonathan, give me this spoiler before I started, but if you're like me that you like jazz blues, but kind of like a you know speedway jazz blues and that that cool stuff that brings you back to the you know probably to the uh, speakeasies and, and and some cool vinyls, this is definitely this this show has that. So that's a big you know bias for me as well. But the story is pretty cool. The characters are pretty cool. The episodes are like 25 minutes length. And they're just fun, and they go for for you know for the main thing. This is what we have to do in this episode, and this is what we're gonna do, and that's it. Let's go and do it. So it's pretty cool. I highly recommend it. I I expect nothing that good things towards you know as I keep progressing on the story. And I think it's only like twenty six uh, or twenty four episodes, and then the movie. So so it's definitely you know I think with two episodes in worth watching it. But anyway, 
I got into the show because I played the game. Just a side note, speaking of Netflix, um, mm-hmm. they did create a live-action television show. Oh, yeah? Um, which was okay. I didn't finish it, though, because it got canceled. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not the same. I mean, it had like the music and that, and that stuff, but it just didn't capture the same feel of the anime. So once you finish the anime, don't worry about the uh, live-action <laughs> show. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't I worry. Usually when I see that something is canceled, I don't even... Pay yeah, I know. I watched a few, and then I heard it got canceled. I'm like, it's not even worth finishing because I'm not gonna finish the story. Mm-hmm. And I can just go watch the anime again, and I've got the complete story there. So yeah. So uh, before you start to tell us about the game, let me go really quick towards the BGG stats. Uh, rank overall three thousand five hundred and seventeen. So it's down in the line. Seven point five. That's a good score. Uh, Kawa Bebop Space Serenade. It was published in 2019. Catch one the criminals to prove you are the best. One to four players, 30 to 90 minutes, age 14 euro plus, weight complexity 2.3 out of 5. Uh, designer is Johan Benvenuto, uh, Florian Sidiex, uh, and the publisher is Don't Panic Games. And I don't know if this one also is published by the. I don't know if you have the box there. Uh, the the what is it called? There's they're always at at Genk on the Japan uh, Japan Japanime Japanime yeah yeah, yeah they're they're a part of it too. I think they're the main publisher. Like okay, the main, yeah. yeah. So tell us all about um, Cowboy Bebop: The Space Serenade. Um, so this game, um, so like Derek said, it plays from one to four, um, but it's a I call it a competitive deck builder game, but it's not super competitive. I would almost think of it kind of like. Um, when we play any of the legendary, not really the encounters, but the regular legendary game where there are victory points, um, you know, there is a winner, but you still kind of have the same goal and you kind of work together. Um, But you're not 100% on the same team, which makes sense. They're bounty hunters. They still have their own agendas um, and you still want to, you know, win. But it is somewhat cooperative in the sense that you're all, you know, there are bounties that you're chasing down and at the end, which I'll explain, you all kind of have the same goal. Yeah. Um, one thing I like about the game is on the second page of the rule book, it says, if you've never played a deck builder, you don't know how to play a deck builder, read this page. <laughs> if you have played a deck builder, it is a very standard, <laughs> from a rule standpoint, Yeah. have a deck of 10 cards, draw five cards, play your cards, draw your next five cards. So mm-hmm. um, it has a good intro to deck building, um, but if, you know, if you've played any of the standard deck builders, you can kind of skip that page. Um <laughs> Yeah. The, the, but the main mechanism of this game is you'll have, you know, e- you'll each get one of the main characters. So you can be Spike, Faye, um, Edward, or Jet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of get your own little player board um, and your own specific deck where most most um, of the cards are going to be the same six cards. And then you have four specific to your character. Um, one of the things that's um, a little different with this game compared to other ones where they may have. Um, you know, be for a certain character. Um, these cards do have a picture and a color that correspond with a certain character from the game or the show, mm-hmm. um, which will come up later. Um, but you'll play your cards like normal. Um, they may have an ability. They may give you a resource. Um, in this game, the main resources are Wulong, which is the currency in this universe. Um, you could get an attack. Um, you could get gas, which is what you use to move to the different planets. Um, or you could get clues. Um, so your strength and your clues help you track down the bounties either by force or by investigation. Um, and um, the goal of what you're trying to do 
is go to one of the three locations. You can go to Mars, Earth, or the Moon, Ganymede. So you'll take your um, mini, or the game has standees as well, whichever you prefer. But you all start on the Bebop, and then you'll spend your gas to go to one of the planets. Um, on each planet, there will be one bounty. And if you've watched the show, um, each one of these characters is probably going to be one of the main bounties from each episode. Um, each of these bounties will have a resistance token um, count, and that's how much strength overall you need to beat it. So, um, for example, they may have four resistance tokens, and each strength of um, two cost will g give you one of those tokens. Or you can also investigate. So if they have investigation tokens, same thing. If they've got three of those and you have to pay two clues, you use those to take a token off. Um, if you investigate with clues, there's no repercussions. If you attack them by strength, you get one of the tokens, but there's also a separate deck um, that gives you damage, or like some other games that could be wounds, but basically those cards that'll clog up your deck um, give you negative effects. Okay. Um, so from that standpoint, a lot of the card play itself is the same, um, but that bounty hunting, um, you know, where you're moving, you're physically moving your miniature, you're moving your character to a specific planet, that was one of the things that was a little different with this game, um, mm -hmm. where it really did feel like you are... You know, you are the crew of the Bebop, um, but they've got their own ships. They go on their own missions sometimes, and you can go to these different planets and uh, try to track down these bounties. Um, and some characters, like Jet and Spike, are better at fighting. Um, Edward, um, the hacker, so um, Edward is better at clues and investigating. So each character does feel a little bit different. Um, they all have their own special abilities that you can use throughout the game, mm -hmm. um, which is nice. And one of the cool things with this one, um, because you are all friends in quotation marks um you're, you're, you're all friends to a sense and you all, you know they're all um you know part of the same crew yeah if you're ever on the same um planet or if you're on the bebop together whenever you're in the same space as another character so let's say i'm spike and i move somewhere in jets there you can use the basic ability of that other character um to help your help your turn so you just pay whatever the cost is and you can use that character's ability as long as you're in the same um planet or location as that character so i thought thought that was kind of cool to add a little bit of that teamwork element um and also on the cards when you play them at the bottom some cards will also have a picture of another character so um like some other games i'm thinking marvel specifically but where you can um coordinate where you can help on um, other turns, or if you play a card with, um, I think it's like, you know, I say the X-Men logo or um, the Wolverine's Claws, if you play that card, you get an added bonus. Um, it's very similar to that. So if I play a card that has a picture of Faye at the bottom, um, and then I later play a Faye card that turn, I also get that added bonus. So as you're building your deck, um, you'll look for some of those bonuses, and you can build combos, um, you know, by coordinating the different characters together. So mm -hmm. um, at least from the few times I've played, it seems like it is good to diversify your deck a little bit and kind of synergize with those different combos to, um, you know, round out your deck. Um, but you'll go through these. Um, each time a bounty is defeated or escapes, um, you'll, re you'll replace them. So you'll flip over two new bounty cards. Um, if the bounty is on Earth and there's still a character there, It'll basically make those planets more expensive to go to. Mm -hmm. And then if you get a bounty for one of the empty planets, then you fill that back in and you have another bounty to capture. Um, when you capture a bounty, all the tokens that you have get converted into um, capture tokens or victory points, um, which is basically your end game scoring. 
And then if you're the person that actually finishes the bounty and captures the character, you get that card, and they usually give you anywhere from zero to two victory points. So um, it gives you a little bit of a bonus. But you'll continue to do that. You'll play your cards, you know, user effects, capture any bounties, and you'll continue to do that and reveal cards until you reveal Vicious, which if you've seen the show, um, as it progresses, Vicious is the main antagonist and you know, kind of the arch nemesis to Spike. So it makes sense that he is the final boss. Um, mm-hmm. And so you may still have other bounties out there, but while Vicious is out there, um, he can also move around and go to the different planets. And he's basically just a harder version of the other bounties. So he has a lot more tokens um, based on the player count, and he can move around where the other bounties will stay on their specific planets. So the goal at that point is to capture Vicious um, as a team before um, his movement deck runs out or he escapes. And then just like the other bounties, you cash in your Vicious tokens, you get victory points, and then whoever deals the final blow gets that card and adds it to their victory points as well. Um, And then once that's over, you add up all your victory points. Um, They say if Vicious escapes, you technically win, but you should play again and try to capture him. Or if you you defeat Vicious and win, then it's, you know, a a full victory and and there will be hopefully a winner. Um, But that's pretty much the gist of the game. Mm -hmm. So I just call it a standard deck builder with that little added element of movement and um, bounty hunting that Cowboy Bebop adds. And the solo mode is pretty much very similar, right? So It is. So the only thing that's different with the solo mode is it changes a couple of the rules. So whenever you shuffle... It accelerates, um, and you'll reveal one of those criminal cards, so it'll deplete that deck quicker to get to Vicious. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like I mentioned, if you d- discard a criminal card that matches a planet that already has a criminal, the gas cost goes up there, so that can make it more difficult for you. Um, everything else is about the same. Mm-hmm. Um, Vicious comes out with full, you know, the full amount of tokens, so he's, you know, harder to beat in that regard, and. Um, he moves around every turn where normally he does not do that. So, yeah. um, so they just kind of amplify some of the other you know, aspects of the game to make it harder. But um, besides being a quicker and you know, kind of forces that end game on you, it, it's pretty much the same game. Okay. So you know, let, let's let's talk about the pros and cons. One con is that now I I already know about vicious, and for me that was spoiler alert. So, so that's a con. But well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I mean, no, no, in all reality. So I'm gonna tell you what I liked about the game, and and um and it has probably to do also with the situation. So this game we played after playing Tolkien, mm-hmm. um, and I like how simple it was. I really do. I really like how because. I like deck buildings, and you know, we—I mean, you and I—we play deck buildings, and and one of our favorite memories is from playing uh, Dragon Ball Super, uh, the, the the card game. You know, and I remember you and I spending some nights at Dennis at a Dennis playing Dragon Ball, and and we were having a blast. Uh, but um, and I'm sure if we play it again, we will have a blast again. But so th- I like deck buildings, and and you know. This was a fun, simple deck building, and I liked it. I like the art, which now that I'm watching the anime is basically the art from the anime. I don't know. I don't know if this anime, like most of the animes, was based on a manga or not. I don't know if the art comes from the manga or not. But uh, is, it, is it a manga? Do you know, or is it just a show? Um, I'm pretty sure it started as a show. I can double check though, but I, I think it was mm. a show. Well, you um, you Google it while I say the positive things. So. 
The art, I liked it. I like the mechanisms that you said that you can trigger depending on the character that you play, that it triggers with the card that you can play, depending on the type of character the card has. I really like also the components. The miniatures are great. It only includes like five miniatures, which is the four main characters and the bad guy. Uh, but it's they, they are fantastic. Good quality minis. The cardboard from the, from the Bebop, I guess, is the ship. Um, you know, it's pretty nice, very sturdy. And then you have the, the, the cardboard for the location. It looks very sturdy as well. And I think that combination of... This game didn't need miniatures. I mean, in all honestly, it didn't need the miniatures. Um, you could have tokens and that was it. But the fact that they add miniatures, that tells me that the publisher and designers, they put love on the product, right? So they're like, okay, we're going to do a Cowboy Bebop product. Let's make it right. And I really appreciate that. Even of being a fan of the show and just getting into it, I really appreciate when they go above and beyond and do those things. Um, and and ju- just to make it more visual and more feel like more like, yes, it's a building, but it's also like kind of like a miniature game. Uh, even if the, the mechanics of the mechanisms of the game, they're classified as a deck building, dice, I mean, pool building and all that good stuff. I mean, I think this is a very clear. It's a semi-cooperative game. It's a semi-cooperative game where either we all lose or... We win, but someone is going to be the most mighty or the most, the best, uh, you know, hunt, uh, bounty hunter. Because there are even some cards I remember that they were like, well, we don't find the benefit of playing this card for me because it's kind of like helping you guys. But I guess it comes from the standpoint of like, okay, we need to work together, otherwise we're going to lose. Um, so that part of the game, it didn't bother me. Uh, and, um, you know, as, as you make damage, like I really like how you, when you make, once you make damage or do some investigation, I get, let's call it on the main. Uh, the villains, well, you get these tokens that eventually, once that villain is uh, defeated or or discovered or whatever you want to call it, well, you get those points. I really like the point system of the game as well. Uh, overall, I think I also like the, even the insert when you know before in the before early in the podcast when I was when I would tell you boxing cover and all that good stuff. This would be a perfect game to give a lot of positive points on that because it has a very cool insert for all the minis for all the cards. Yeah, I'm sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jonathan, but you can you have them sleeved and they fit very well there. Then you have like a cardboard standy thing where you can place the cards there, kind of like facing. Uh, the table, so that's pretty cool as well. So once again, those little things that it makes the production seem like it, it was made with uh, uh, passion, effort, and love ultimately, and dedication. So so I really like those aspects of the games. Um, cons, I, I, I can think of a very simple deck building that uh, if you're into the hobby and you're already playing other sort of deck buildings, I'm, I'm even going to say like if you play Marvel Champions, Marvel Champions is, has way more deck building that that you know Cowboy Bebop or Arkham Horror or things like that. Lord of the Rings. Well, this is gonna be nothing. This is gonna be like like you know like a, almost like an appetizer. Uh, but um, it that doesn't mean anything bad to me. The other the other con thing would be the semi co-op mechanic. That semi co-op it might not be for everyone. There are some players that they will like semi semi co-op and they won't mind. But there are some players that they don't like to play semi-co-op games, and that could be another con. Um, other than that, I, I, I first, when I were playing, I thought about the length of the game. I was like, well, this can probably take longer, but then it didn't. Uh, but I feel without playing it solo, I feel like you can fall into the risk of how the, the last villain works, that it can prolong the game longer, a little bit longer-ish, than it probably should be. Overall... I mean, those are my pros and cons. What about you, Jonathan? Do you agree with my pros and cons? Do you have anything else to add as far as pros and cons on the game? Um, 
So, uh, you know, like you mentioned, it's got all the art from the show, which is good. Um, and um, one of the things I do like, so I did track down, because right now this game does not have an expansion, which is fine. Okay. Um, there are rumors that there is going to be one. Um, I just don't know, you know, since it is a 26-episode anime, that, you know, really the only area to expand um, don't spoil. would be the movie, I think. Okay. Um, which, in that case, like, I think it would just maybe add a few more cards, maybe add, um, you know, the main villain from the movie as another option to replace Vicious um, as the final boss. But I think overall it would keep the same core gameplay. Um, but that could be a pro and a con. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think some of the other ones, like my first deck builder um, was not Dominion, but it was the DC deck builder because I got into comics in college. Yeah. And, like, that game, you know, there are plenty of expansions for that. And a lot of times it just kind of adds more cards, maybe a new keyword or new mechanism here. But, you know, a lot of it's still very similar um, until they added, like, the, um, you know, the crisis expansions mm-hmm. um, or some other ways where you can play it solo, um, campaign, um, some of the other aspects. But, you know, I could have seen this as, like, a good gateway into deck builders where it is, you know, mm-hmm. one box, you got everything you need. It has a few interesting things with the moving around and, and all of that. But at its core, it is just that basic deck builder um, like some of the other ones where if you want something more complex or, um, you know, even a little bit more, um, I don't, I don't want to say heavy, but, you know, I think of like a Marvel legendary where, you know, it's kind of a burden to set up because you have to, you know, pick all the different heroes, mix <laughs> yeah. them together, make all the decks. Yeah. Um, even like the James Bond legendary, same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and while those games are a little bit you know, heavier and you kind of have to think more and strategize more, um, you know, I think I like how quickly Cowboy Bebop you can set up. Um, you know, everybody gets their starting player deck. You have the, you know, the deck that you can buy from um, in the market. You have the damage cards. And then you pretty much just shuffle up the bounty cards, get all the planets set up, and, and you go. So it's, you know, five-minute setup, five-minute teardown. Um, so I think if, you know, if I looked at it as, you know, a quick deck builder, I can play, you know, probably solo in about 30 minutes. And I think if we played again as a group, maybe an hour. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't overstay its welcome in that regard. Um, I do agree that I think, you know, in a co-op or not cooperative, but in a multiplayer game, um, you know, it is possible where especially vicious is moving around a lot. I think it could prolong it. Um, and that'd be the only thing, but it's, I don't, I still don't think it would take more than an hour. Yeah. Um, no, and, and I agree. I don't know about the replayability though. We talk about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, at least like with the DC game, you know, you get, you know, let's look at the core game for that which is probably somewhat similar, but you know, you get those super villains that you fight. So even, you know, the order that those come up are going to be different and they mm-hmm. have different abilities where in this game, the bounties that you chase don't have different abilities. You know, you may have one that's, you know, you have to fight more versus investigate more, but you know, overall they're not going to impact your game as much. And, you know, vicious doesn't have a special ability that affects you either. Um, so I, I do think that, you know, this wouldn't be one that I would play a lot just because it would be, you know, fairly similar, especially if you, you know, play the different characters and kind of play through their special abilities. Um, so I think that is where an expansion could help just to add maybe a little bit of variability or if there's something that adds, you know, an ability or maybe something more negative for the final boss. Mm-hmm. I think that could help. Um, but I think as like an intro to deck building or if you're really like Cowboy Bebop, um, you know, you could kind of get past that and, um, you know, just kind of looking at it for what it is. Yeah. Um, I think they do a good job. Um, and I do really like, um, they actually made 
there's at least two or, or more versions, but there, I think there are sleeves specific for this game, um, oh, which yeah, is weird true. because yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a big hit. <laughs> um, but like I went to Amazon and I'm like, okay, this is a con- you know a contained deck builder. You have this one set core game. So if we play it multiple times, I want sleeves because we're going to shuffle. Sure. Uh, so I go on there and there are you know Cowboy Bebop sleeves that say Space Serenade on them. <laughs> and so it's nice. They fit in the box. They fit in the insert. Um, the little stand that Derek was talking about is from um, the Big Shot TV show within the anime where I saw you know, it. The, I saw it. They, they, yeah. <laughs> um, so where they um, you know they post the bounties and that's where you put the um, you know different criminals on there and even mm-hmm. with the sleeve cards they fit perfectly on there. So I'm like they must have planned this out. They knew they were going to make the sleeves. So I mean yeah. it's you know from that production standpoint it is really cool. Yeah. Um, and it's you know the box is like perfect for that. Now if there is an expansion I don't think there's room, but um, you know I think for the base game to sleeve it and have all that I just think it was pretty cool how it worked out and it's a good price point where I think even MSRP is maybe forty five dollars. Yeah. And it's you know usually on sale so I think compared to other heavier deck builder games even like Aeon's End or um, some of those where they're getting a little bit more pricey I think this is a good price point for you know that intro to deck building. Yeah. If this is more your style, yeah, I mean definitely, and and for me it's like yeah, the replayability could be. I mean, I definitely see myself after I finish the show uh, if I like it, how I think I'm gonna love it. <laughs> so I, I definitely see myself like getting a copy too, just to try it solo, and and it will be once again we we the replayability it's always like a hard for me just because. Uh, our, our gaming lifestyle, like we don't play a game over and over and over unless we do it solo. But well, I'm going to mm-hmm. put another example: uh, Planet of the Apes, right? So Planet of the Apes, it's a game that you will play, and you can play again, and the story will be the same and same, and it's like you're watching the movie. I feel like here is not exactly the same as the Planet of the Apes because these you have the, you know, the the shuffling aspect and things like that that can take things in a different direction. Uh, but still, it will be overall the same. But it would be like, okay, like I want to watch, uh, you know, like I'm, let's say Dragon Ball Z. I want to watch uh, Frieza Saga as well. Okay, again, I'm sorry. Okay, I just watch it again and I enjoy it and that's it. I feel like this is the same thing. Like you play it again. It's like watching that favorite movie or th- that favorite show episode that you already watched, but you keep enjoying it. I, th- I feel the same way. The difference is like what, like you mentioned, from a price standpoint, it's pretty accessible and it's pretty cool. So, I mean, overall, I think this game... You know, uh, if I can rate it right now, I would probably, with one playthrough, uh, which it was three players, for me, it was a solid 3.5. Like, no no doubt, it's a good game. I think it's worth owning it. I can see myself owning it, uh, especially if you're a fan of the show. Um, you know, if you're not a fan of the show, I mean, it will still, it will, it's still an enjoyable game, but I feel like to really, really enjoy it, you have to watch the show, like the show, and then you play the game, and it's like, okay, now everything makes more sense. Like, I, I'm sure it will make more sense once I finish the show and I play the game. What about you? Where do you put this this game as far as your rating? I think, so, like, for somebody, like, if you haven't watched the show or, you know, kind of at your point, I would say probably a 3.5. I think, um, you know, I would probably put it at a 4 just because of, well, one, the nostalgia factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you can definitely tell that the designers and um you know anyone that worked on the game at um you know the various companies for it like i think they definitely have an appreciation for the show or at least that's my yeah um understanding just because 
you know, they have the characters, everything's planned out very well. And like every character feels um, genuine to how they were portrayed by the anime. Yeah. Um, you know, the game seems very well planned out. Um, and really for me, um, you know, I think really that limiting factor, um, not necessarily the replayability. Cause like you said, we're, you know, we don't play games, you know, week after week after week, you know, we'll come back to it maybe, you know, one more time this year. <laughs> um, but I think at least it is a little different than my other deck builders, even if it is more simple. Um, so I, I think it definitely has a spot and, um, it is nice to see an IP game that is not, I mean, is it the best game ever? No, but you know, especially anime. I feel like there are so many anime games, like I've bought Dragon Ball Z games, not card games, but yeah. you know, board games. And like, they have some of the attacks for the characters wrong. And I'm like, I don't understand how that happens when, <laughs> yeah. you know, Vegeta has a signature move. That's what it should be called. Or yeah. if you can't get the license for that, like why even do it? Yeah. So like, I think at least, you know, for having a, you know, an anime IP and they did a good job. Um, you know, I, th- I think just putting all that together, I'd put it at a four. It's not one that I'd play all the time, but you know, since it is so quick and short, you know, if somebody wanted to play it or if I'm looking for something to do and I don't want to set up anything complicated, I could just pull this out and play it in half an hour and then put it back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely think that helps, um, you know, my likelihood to play it again. Um, now I can't speak to the other Cowboy Bebop games in that regard, but I think it is <laughs> lower rated on BGG. So, um, you know, I don't know if that one is as good as the representation of the IP, but I think this one did a very well, a very good job. No, definitely. Like, like we mentioned before, I mean, the, you can see the, the love on the production and that's definitely something like, and like, that's why I was very clear. I feel like once I finished the show and probably ended up loving it, then I will play the game and I'll be like, oh man, this is, this is great. And I would probably at that point, I can see myself going back, mentioning the game in a future episode. I mean, like, you know what? It was a 3.5 for me now. It's a 4. I've been playing it. It's cool. And you might see some pictures on Instagram, of course, and Facebook as I post them. Um, anyway, before we say goodbye, I forgot to mention the top cities and top countries at the beginning of the episode. These are the places where uh, the last episode uh, you know, was listened the most, I guess, in a way. So let's start with the countries. Uh, United States in number one. UK on uh, or Great Britain in number two. Canada, Spain. Australia, Germany, Belgium, Sweden, Netherlands, and Greece. Hello to my friends on Greece. Uh, the top cities that listened to the last episode are in Utah, Perth, Western Australia, Canyon Country, California, Melbourne, Victoria, uh, Sikersville, Maryland, Los Angeles, California, Ottawa, Illinois, Vigo, Pontevedra, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Winnipeg, Manitoba. So thank you so much. My friends, you know, this is my way of recognizing. Once again, I say this multiple times uh, versus a YouTube channel where you can put some comments and we can reply each other. This is my way of interacting with you and saying hi and saying thank you at the same time. Jonathan, next episode will be the pre-Gen Con and we're going to talk about our lists. We're going to talk about the games that we're looking forward to buy, to play, to enjoy and the good news is that the gaming hall baby is 24 again so we can party like you said the other day party like 2012 well i'm gonna call it party like 2019 uh and stay all night if we want on the gaming hall and play games and then just hit 5 a.m go home get a shower breakfast coffee come back and do it again for three days and then on Sunday after Jenkins, we can have our uh, lunch or, or early dinner and then sleep 
uh, for all the time that we didn't sleep. So I'm very excited, Jonathan, for this Gen Con. I have high hopes, uh, and 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 we're gonna have that pre-episode where we're gonna share a list. I'm 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 hoping you're already working on your list, Jonathan, because there's some pre-sales over there from Renegade Games. I'm tempted by my father's work, so. I don't know, man. I, I'm still thinking about it. So you have your list already? You're already working on it? You're already pulling at it? Um, yeah, I've probably got about 10 things on there just from the like the list that they post on BGG and that they update. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't looked into you know if there's anything I want to pre-order or anything like that, but mm-hmm. I know Renegade's got some. I know Portal Games have some. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, a lot of, you know some of the other publishers have those as well. So um, I guess that'll be the question. Do you pre-order and lose some of the excitement of trying to rush on Thursday? <laughs> Or, but then you take the risk of not getting the game until it actually comes out, which you know sometimes it's only like a couple weeks away. But you know it, it definitely has that um, you know that endorphin rush when you get that new game uh-huh. you know, before you know before other people or before retailers as well. So sometimes Target um, has it the same day. I know, <laughs> but it's the excitement of getting it there. Yeah, uh, let's let's give one spoiler. Tell me one game that you are excited to buy. Um, I don't know if it'll be out yet, um, but if it is. They are coming out with a new um, Clank game. Okay. So I know you have the original Clank. I have mm-hmm. Clank in Space and a lot of the expansions. Uh-huh. Um, you know, back to Deck Builders, of course. But, you know, I like that Deck Builder. But, you know, you're also moving through a map. And you have all that, you know, that other aspect to it. Yeah. Well, um, Clank Catacombs, I know, is at least going to be available to demo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same sort of thing. I think this time it's a... I think it's back to the fantasy theme, but it's a... A skeleton dragon or something like that okay. but you're going through with your characters deck building like that but it's um i believe you use tiles to build out the map that you go through mm-hmm. instead of having kind of the pre-built map that you put together at the beginning of the game yeah um so i think it'll just be cool to see how it's different um and i just lo- really like that system so i definitely want to check that one out and hopefully it'll be available to buy okay um but if not the other one i have on my list no 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 no, that, no 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 <laughs> no, don't, don't give All more right, I'll save it. I'll save you, it. You were getting excited already. No, no, no. Yeah. Save it for the pre-Jenkon episode. Then on Jenkon okay. episode, we have a, a surprise for you. Uh, on the previous years, I did some live streamings, uh, you know, video uh, on our social media. We won't do that now. Now, what we're going to do is take some pictures all day long of the booths that we visit, and we're going to have audio interviews with uh, publishers and hopefully designers. And then we're going to compile them and have a special episode for you after. Probably I will post that the Monday after Jenkins. So uh, wait for that one as well. Um, and for me, I'm just going to tell you right now, one of the games that it's a must-buy for me on the convention, it's um, Terracotta Army, uh, which is published by Board and & Dice. And it's designed... Uh, for, uh, by one of my favorite designers so far, uh, and it's very recent, but it's the same designer of my Holy Grail Nemesis and a very fun game that we just play at your house, Origins. And I'm talking about Adam Kwapinski. Uh, he is the co-designer of uh, Terracotta Army, which, of course, the whole, th- the whole theme is that the emperor, I don't remember his name, uh, uh, China emperor, he uh, passed. And then uh, the some of the... Uh, artisans they are uh, designed to build a statue army to protect the emperor so it's pretty cool it has miniatures it's kind of like area control worker placement cool mechanics looks fantastic so i'm looking forward for it and i won't tell you anymore because i already have a list of a quite of a decent amount of games that i'm interested in but once again that will be for the gen con pre gen con episode 
in the following week or just before Gencon starts. So, Jonathan, anything else before we kick in and say goodbye on this uh, July 13 that we review the episode 113 and we went back to the episode 13 and once again, thank God it's not Friday the 13th. Uh, anything else? Well, I was just going to say, I think um, in honor of Cowboy Bebop and going off the, the theme, I think now we should start calling your episode Sessions and add some jazz mu- music in the beginning to get us uh, excited. I think so, I, I think we have to do that. That, that will be. You, you can take that recommendation. You don't have to, but uh, you know. <laughs> or, or, or or at least before we jump into certain sections of the episode, yeah. throw some some cool jazz. Just like even we can do probably some cowboy people music, but just play like five seconds in that way. We don't get into issues with copyright. We will do that anyway, my friends. Thank you so much for being with us another night. Uh, we had a blast. I hope you did the same. And like always. Until next time, see you through the speaker and at the tabletop. Drink tequila, spin summer at a Mexican bar. Stephen Austin, Davy Crockett, and I'm driving my car. Maybe life is simple and I'm making it hard. Maybe I should separate my brain from my heart. Go!